All right, welcome back to the Great Data Golf Show, everybody. We're glad to have you guys back here for edition number two of our show and our podcast here. Last week, we talked about our origin stories of how Great Data Golf got started. And definitely go listen to episode number one. That's going to kick things off really nicely for you all. Learn about how we came together and everything that's to come in the future. So real quickly, hot topic right now is, uh, you know, this amazing comeback John Rahm had over Colin Morikawa. I don't know if it's more of a comeback more, or if it's more of a meltdown by Colin. Um, what did you think about that, Matt? Well, first of all, how cool is it to be watching golf in, <clears throat> in Hawaii? Um, nice kickoff to the season. And, you know, seeing the leaderboard at the Century is always really cool because, you know, you've got, you know, some of the best players, the best players from last year, basically. Um, you had to win to get there. So that was really cool to see. As far as the actual event goes, uh, it kind of hurts me because Colin uh, Morikawa, probably golf swing-wise, is one of my favorites. I think Rory still has that title. But, you know, I love Colin Morikawa. But John Rahm has a look in his eye this year, I think, of, you know, he's coming for multiple majors uh you know he is not going to be stopped i think yeah it's a little bit more of a collapse from colin but you got to give john Rahm his credit there um for hanging in there even though he was way back i think one of the things for Collins, he he prides himself in his you know iron game and his shot making ability and his his wedge play completely just evaporated on sunday which was a big part of the reason um but of course, Callaway is going to say, "Oh no, John Rahm was hitting uh, the new paradigm driver." But um, I'll link of it up course. more so like the short game uh, just evaporated for Colin on Sunday, which allowed John to have that big opening, and he obviously got hot too across the last you know six or seven holes. But um, short game focus wise is a big thing, at least here in the Midwest, that a lot of people are missed throughout the off season during the winter time which is one of the big aspects we love about our facility is having that short game practice area. But what is the total importance in your mind of perfecting putting during the off season? Uh, it's crucial. So when you look at those guys on tour, right, the typically who's winning is who's putting the best um, or who's hitting it closest. And I know that sounds um, pretty obvious, but, Think about it in the winter time. What do you do typically? You go to a simulator, you hit balls, and you know, okay, I'm getting better. And while that could be true as far as your long game goes, people neglect and almost totally ignore short game. Um, and obviously, that's why that was like the start and the foundation of our space was to have a 30 foot putting green um, and shipping area. So in the off season, if you're not taking the time, you, you've got the time. You can't go out and play. You can't just go play. So in the off season, you really need a game plan for what are you going to do for, what are you going to do to get better at putting? Uh, how are you going to measure it? Um, and I think you look at all aspects of it, right? So, and we can dive into, you know, equipment wise, um, you know, practice wise, technique wise, lesson wise, you know, what are you doing to get better? Right. And I think, uh, you know, that's one of the aspects, like you said, like people are going in just hitting a simulator and uh, not really paying attention to the numbers or actually putting the emphasis on short game. But that can take strokes off the game. 
and you could see even just in like Collins uh, adjustments, like his putter, his putting grip was different. His shoulder alignment was different um, comparative to last season. And uh, you know, that's the, I think one of the big reasons that gave him such a big lead, he was, he was sinking a lot of putts really consistently, which was something he was struggling with last year, but you could see just a lot of different changes were made in the off season for him, which is pretty short with, you know, that the professional level and just the amount of changes that we're seeing there in terms of his grip and his shoulder alignment with that. But um, I think, you know, a question that a lot of people ask sometimes is, you know, what's your advice on selecting mallet versus blade? Um, and some different factors to look at with that by, you know, selecting a putter. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to dive into there. Let's just talk specifically about, you know, selecting your putter. It, what, should I get a mallet putter? Should I get a blade putter? Uh, different nowadays, it doesn't necessarily mean your putting stroke dictates what you have to get. And what I mean by that is typically a mallet putter was a face balanced putter. And a blade putter was a putter with toe hang. Um, so a blade putter would work better for someone who has more of kind of an arcing stroke. And a mallet putter typically worked for someone that had less of an arc, um, straight back and straight through. There's no such thing as straight back and straight through. Every putting stroke has some type of arc to it, um, some type of swing to it. But someone who has less so would typically go with a mallet because that was your face balance option. But nowadays, with different necks, you've got everything at your disposal. So there's blades that are face-balanced. Um, they make that. They also make mallets with toe hang um, and multiple different um, uh, you know, types of toe hang, strong, slight, um, those types of ideas. So when it comes to selecting a putter mallet versus blade, I think what you really have to go to is, yes, you need to get fit to find the right uh, matchup for your putting stroke and your style but nowadays it's more about visually and maybe something that's confidence inspiring so I always put it with a blade I currently use a mallet most of the reason behind that was um, confidence um, easier for me to kind of line up I don't have tons and tons of stuff going on but easier for me to line up and then if I don't quite hit the middle it sounds silly but it's less punishing, especially on really long putts. I found that it was very much easier for me to get 40, 50 foot putts where I wanted them to go versus a blade. If I miss it a little bit, you know, I might have a tricky second putt coming up there. So that was a big deal for me when selecting, you know, mallet versus blade. So then coming off of that, like, that's great info. But is there any adjustments in terms of, you know, optimal grip or shoulder placement when it comes from say, okay, I'm using a, I'm using a blade putter. I'm using a, a mallet putter. There is some, um, you know, I think like think tiger tigers always putted with the iconic Newport two style putter, even though he changed to the Nike putter for a while, it was still the same style. Um, and that Newport two is from Scotty Cameron. Tiger putts with a little bit more open kind of stance to it and lets that putter swing a little bit more um, versus so his shoulders are going to be open or pointed slightly to the left for a right-handed player just a little bit um, versus someone who might be a little bit more kind of like straight at it um, could be a better suit for a face balanced putter. Not always the case. There's so many different variables when it comes to putting and there's so many things that 
could be correct or are not wrong. Look at how Collins putting right now. Look at how many times Phil Mickelson, who, you know, has had some struggles with putter in the past, but ultimately has been pretty darn good, has putted in different ways um, and styles. I know Nicholas, you know, he was one that said if he could have redid it and started over, he would have started left-hand low um, because he felt that was, you know, better at delivering a square putter face. So there's multiple ways to do it. I think that's where some experimentation just has to take place and what works for you. Um, getting fit has to take place, taking a lesson. I mean, those are all different roads that I think people really need to go down and they don't with putting. It just kind of goes unexplored. Right, because I think we're all trying to avoid the dreaded uh, three-putt, which uh, happens in a high rate with my game at least most of the time. But uh, I think one of the things that kind of branching off of this that can help us uh, you know, avoid the dreaded three-putt is putting ourselves closer to the pin and making those putts a little bit easier, a little bit shorter, more advantageous for us. And at amateur, maybe it's one answer at pro level – more competitive level and it's another answer for amateur level here but for most amateurs you know they may just only have like pitching wedge or sand wedge to start out with you know what is the importance in terms of maybe bagging even just those two versus having an amateur maybe get a lob wedge or an attack wedge of some sort um and kind of adding that into their bag to help put them closer like is there importance to that for the average for the average golfer yes very much so. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the amount of wedges you have. You know, I'm not a proponent of somebody having to have four wedges, although it's more common now with stronger lofts on these clubs. Um, but you need to have proper gaps between your wedges. So you've got gaps between your irons, you know, eight to nine iron, let's say. And let's say it's 10 yards. Um, for me, it's 15. So if you have a faster swing speed, you're going to have bigger gaps there. But you need to stay gapped appropriately when it comes down to your wedges. And you need to be able to practice them in what I call like crash them together. So can you, if you hit full lob wedge, let's say 90 yards, um, you know, you need to also be able to hit that sand wedge in that 90 yard range um, and less you need to be able to kind of crash these wedge distances together so you can hit different shots. Um, so you can do the most important thing, which is distance control. And through the use of technology, we've found that launch angle is a huge, huge um, like number to like dial in at when you're looking at your wedges. People kind of don't really look at that typically, but that's how you're going to create distance control. So would you say, you know, we're – Wintertime, everybody's getting on simulators, and they may just be going blindly and hitting or playing courses on it. But I think one of the things or aspects we like to work on here at Great Data Golf is, you know, paying attention to the numbers. So spin rate, launch angle, attack angle, and you just mentioned launch angle. Is launch angle the number one factor to practice on during the offseason when it comes to, you know, perfecting your wedge play and kind of shortening up those gaps? Or is it something else? Launch angle is got to be up there. If it's not number one, it's really close. I'm going to call it number one because it's one that not many people really tend to look at. Um, they might take wedge out, 60 degree, 56, whatever wedge it is, and swing full. 
And that might start to launch for them, you know, with launch angles in the mid thirties, um, which is too high. And then they go on the golf course and they don't quite understand why they can't hit these yardages. Pros are hitting these yardages specifically, you know, Dustin Johnson was kind of the famous one and he would call out his wedge numbers when he got a track man, his wedge game, you know, got really, really good. Yes, he could call out those numbers, but he was hitting optimal launch angles. And somebody could write this down. It's good info with your wedges. You should be launching it, depending on the wedge, really, but somewhere between probably 26 and maybe 32 at the highest. I don't really like to see that, but you know, something very low 30s would be the max, even with a 60-degree wedge. Um, and that means you have to present it. Well, most people present way too much loft. And their distances, you know, their dispersions all over the map. So launch angle is huge. Um, you know, on our on our machines, we can put up all types of data parameters. I take tons away, and we start to look at launch angle, spin, carry distance, and that might be it for a session, just to really dial in and get focused there. So what are what is your go to wedge? What what uh, what degree? What's your go to one for maybe say, you know, if you had to choose just one? Yeah. So I use them all for sure, but um, to not dance around the question, I would say 50 degree is a very versatile one for me. Um, That is the next wedge down from my pitching wedge. I carry a pitching wedge in my set, and then I carry a 50, a 54, and a 60. But that 50, you know, I can hit from 120, and I can hit from 70. And I'm comfy in and all those. That's a 50-yard range, and I'm good. And I can hit those shots, and I'm comfortable hitting those shots. I launch it in good windows. It spins appropriately, and I can hit my target. Um, and I think that's something that you know people don't really look at. Oh, I hit my 120 wedge. I don't think they ever think about taking 50 yards away. Um, but I think they should. Now, I'm excited about that answer, too, because I just added that 50-degree into my bag. And... Um, because otherwise I was sticking around this area of trying to finesse my pitching wedge in a large range before I got to, you know, my 54 or my 60, um, you know, closer to the green and, uh, it's been extremely accurate so far and I'm excited to get that out, you know, once the off season is done here, but kind of switching, switching positions here now is. You know, yeah. another factor we talk about during off-season training here too is perfecting mobility for our swing. And one thing that you look at is, you know, how golfers can get into optimal positioning in their swings and kind of correcting those mechanics. But when we think about it, you know, the golfer needs to be able to access positions because position is going to dictate function. So we need to have the mobility and the access to be able to get into positions first. And that's what golfers should be trying to attain, you know, besides other things such as improving strength and force output and power and speed throughout the off season and getting stronger, getting faster, you know, we need to have an importance put on, you know, gaining mobility and improving mobility for um, joint movement, joint function, and that'll allow us to access positions to get our swings in the positions that we want to, to get our body to do what we want to. So, you know, for this, we're kind of talking about, optimally maximizing, you know, thoracic spine mobility, specifically rotation, flexion, and extension, because that's what our thoracic spine, our rib cage, that's what we're doing when we're coming into all the different components of our entire swing. We're talking about shoulder mobility, so improving flexion, 
adduction, abduction, and external rotation, as well as adduction, IR, and extension. Um, and then hip mobility is very crucial because if our hips are not going to be able to externally rotate or internally rotate, uh, then you know we're going to be putting a lot more stress on shoulder as well as lumbar spine as well too. Um, and I know we've had a lot of discussions about this just with you know all the different members that we work with um, here at Great Data Golf. But you specifically, I know we've been working on you know shoulder flexion as well as thoracic mobility um, because you you weren't quite able to get shoulder overhead um, all the way, so that range of motion was was lacking as well as your, your ability to rotate through your thoracic spine. I guess, you know, focusing on things that have been given to you thus far during off season, like what are some of the changes in terms of like depth of rotation in your backswing? And then some changes in terms of like your, your ball speed that you're seeing so far. Uh, sure. So, you know, what am I, five weeks in now, maybe six. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm definitely starting to, a, feel it in my body. I think that's the, the biggest thing is just how much better my body feels when since we've been working on some of this mobility work um, and and putting the work in to be able to move better. Um, I've been able to get much better depth in my backswing um, because of it. And the speed then in turn, because I can get to the better positions, you know, I've picked up, I'm, I'm not slow, I'm not overly fast, but... What I'm noticing in my driver is I was topping out about, I'd say, 108, 109, and my cruising speed right now with drivers up over 113. Like 113 would be an average day. Oh, I can go faster. Yeah, and and that's not that's not a small amount. Five miles an hour is a lot of a lot of club speed in a short period of time here. So, you know, that's something a new driver is not going to get me. Nope, we got a lot of those coming out right now um, with the hot list, but. Let's switch gears. What's in the bag right now for you? Any adjustments that you're making and with your bag for the upcoming season? So this is a um, this is a interesting one for me. I don't have anything new right now. So my bag, um, really quick. Um, you know, I have Mizuno wedges. I have a Scotty Cameron putter. I have ping irons, ping hybrid, ping fairway wood, and a Callaway driver. I think the only one on the docket right now for me um, is driver just because or driver shaft just because I'm tinkering a little bit with um, spin rates, especially as that speed goes up. Um, the ball tends could tend to spin a little bit more. So I'm just making sure I stay in proper windows there and stay efficient. Um, so driver is probably the one thing I'm really kind of zoning in on right now. So you, you might be in the market for uh, maybe one of these new ones we might touch on here in a moment, but uh yeah, my big adjustment is, you know, adding the 50-degree wedge. And then, you know, I have my full set of Cleveland RTX Zipcore wedges, which I love. Um, they got great bounce, great feel to them. Um, the TaylorMade P7MC irons and then, you know, my Callaway Maverick uh, woods, hybrids, and, and drivers, uh, which I'm still loving. Um, what are – are there any – besides, you know, your mobility and your strength and conditioning work, are there any other, like, key adjustments you're making with your swing? Um this off season? No. And, and to piggyback just on that bag. Um, I think a lot of listeners are going to hear there, you know, it's not necessarily all new clubs. And I know I, I didn't go into my clubs specifically, but mine aren't the, the most new clubs either. So I think there's a lot to learn there um, about equipment. 
as far as my off-season prep goes, we touched on it a little bit. Um, but also really working on my rotation. We're really working on my um, my posterior chain and getting a little stronger there. And, and my rotation through the ball. Um, I've been a very good um, arms and hands player. My rotation through the ball is okay, but it's not. Um, as good as it should be for a player of my level. So that's something that I'm really, really working on is being able to rotate better through the ball. Yeah, perfect. And I think for me, it's, you know, I can touch on the importance of actually working with a coach. Like my first lessons in my entire life, surprisingly, like we mentioned last episode, have been with you. Otherwise, I've been self-taught up to this entire point. So my everything about my swing is different right now. We've gotten my, you know, attack angles from, you know, uh, negative six or seven out to into, you know, a zero or to like a negative one to one. And uh, I'm hitting the ball neutral. I've got way more distance. I mean, I'm getting my seven iron out to, you know, 180 sometimes. And I'm getting my eight iron out to, you know, 165, um, you know, 170 sometimes now. And my ball speeds up. My rotation is different. It still feels awkward. I need a lot more repetition, but um, working on those mechanics that we worked on to, you know, change my backswing and get my wrist more involved um, is what I'm working on. Um, So if you're not working with somebody thus yet, if you're listening, definitely get a coach, whether that's us here, a great day to golf, fantastic, or somebody else, definitely start to make some improvements in your game. All right, switching here, lightning round for you. We have Callaway Paradigm. We've got the TaylorMade Stealth Tooth. We have the Ping G430, and we have the Cobra Aerojet. Which of those are you most excited about potentially trying? Ping G430, um, because Ping is uh, an OBS company, and I think what they're doing is really cool, um, and they're not going away from technology that they've had in the past. So like Callaway partnered with Boeing, what was it, five years ago? Um, for aerodynamics and like they've kind of stripped all that away where ping is just still, they're still there. They're still using it cause it's still a benefit for people. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, curious on that ping driver. It's funny because they're usually all about consistency and forgiveness, but this year they're about speed and, yeah. you know, so it, that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what the, uh, what the differences are between, especially between 430 and 425 and what that feels like. Um, mm-hmm. Your ultimate three to play with in a foursome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Tiger for sure. Um, I just, it's got to be Tiger. I I wasn't a Bulls fan growing up, but I'd throw Michael Jordan in there just because of the, um, just because of the bets that would probably go on. And then for me, just because I'm a homer um, and I would love to meet him and he's somebody I haven't had the chance to meet, would be, um, I think I'd throw Barry Sanders in there too. Barry Sanders. Oh, yeah, you're a Lions fan. You're, you guys got my Packers over the weekend. Um, yeah, it's been hard to I deal know. With. Nobody, nobody really won though. Nobody did. I guess for me, my, my ultimate foursome would be myself and then, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, my son. Bruce, uh, my grand, my grandpa Bruce, which would be his great grandfather, and then um, uh, my father as well too. So a little bit more, a little bit different aspect of control, but that's who I definitely want to uh, play in a foursome with. All right, last one. You have to f one, marry one, and kill one. But here's the rules: 
okay? The one that you choose to F, you can only use it for one shot. Okay. okay? The one that you okay. marry, you can use for any shot that you want, all right? Okay. And then the one that you're going to kill, all right, you're not using at all. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So you have seven iron, you have three wood, and you have pitching wedge. Yep. F one, marry one, kill one. I'm going to F the three wood and I'm going to marry the seven iron and I'm going to kill the pitching wedge. Okay. And why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, the reason to marry the seven iron, I think first is because I could manipulate it in a lot of different ways. Um, add loft, take off loft. I think it's got enough to where I could hit chips I could even get myself out of a bunker. I could putt with it. Um, there's just so much I could do there from a versatility standpoint. Um, and then just give me that one three wood so I could get it as far as I need to on most of those holes. So, And killing the pitching wedge because of what I said with the seven iron. I, I could make it into a pitching wedge. So, Absolutely. I think I surprisingly have the same answer. I think I could get one just maybe beautiful shot out of the three wood. Seven iron, we're going full Kevin Costner tin cup, you know, on it. Yep. Pitching wedge, yep. I'm, I'm killing. I'm getting rid of it. But um, all right, man. Hey, it's been great. If, we're if, gonna, yeah. One thing on one thing off that. Um, I know that was funny, but if you've never done this yet, you'd get this in a playing lesson with me. I'll make you go three clubs, and we'll play a three club game. Um, and you know, the funniest thing is, I think you'll be surprised at what you shoot. Most people actually shoot the same or better with three golf clubs than they do with their entire bag. Um, it's crazy. So try that if you're listening. And I think that's something you and I should record for our YouTube channel coming up here. So you and I are going to play around at a very well-known course. We'll do it on the Trackman or the Foresights here at Great Theta Golf. We'll each yeah. pick our three clubs and we'll do it that way. I think that's something we can do. I think it'd be, uh, it'd be very uh, eye-opening for people. Absolutely. All right, man. We're going to be back next week for another great episode, episode number three of the Great Data Golf Show. If you guys have any comments or ideas on topics you want us to cover, please let us know. Um, and then very shortly, we'll be bringing on some guests with us in the near future as well, too. All right, Matt. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, buddy. Sounds good, Alex. All right, Peace. Peace.